Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, to chapter 10, verse 39. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. And then we're just going to summarize in three words, chapter 10, verses 1 to 28. It ends with the name Banath. 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and His rules and His statutes. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people, have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our Father's houses, at times appointed year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree, year by year to the house of the Lord, and to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of our God. Well, let's pray.
that God will speak to us in this building through His Word. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. It is the Word of God that sustains us, that guides us, that leads us, that rules us, that fires us, that inspires us. We pray, Lord, that the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of God's Word will be the hallmark of this church, this community, in this building. We pray, Lord, that this part of the city would flourish through the preaching of God's Word. Thank you that we can hear the children singing. Thank you that we, in securing this building, have, we pray and believe and trust, secured a legacy for generations way beyond our lifetimes here in this building. Thank you that we can turn to a significant day in the history of God's people then and then apply it to this significant day in the history of our church today. So speak to us, speak to us from your word today and every day, for we pray all that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now, on this significant day in the life of Chammers, we come in Nehemiah to a significant day in the life of God's people then, as they renewed their covenant with the Lord. God's people are back in Jerusalem after the exile. The temple, the walls of the city have been rebuilt, not without friction and difficulty, And then, as recorded in chapters 8, 9, and 10, the real work of spiritual renewal or spiritual reformation begins. Chapter 8, the people assemble, gather together under the authority of the Word of God. Once again, the Word of God is back at the heart as the center of the corporate life of the people of God. Once again, the Bible, the Word of God, is the supreme rule of faith and life. And more than that, the people of God are attentive to the Word of God. They are listening out for God's voice. And then chapter 9, the people are convicted under the Word of God to confess their sin. And the great prayer in Nehemiah chapter 9, the great prayer of repentance, of corporate confession of sin, just flick back in your Bibles and look at it. It's a prayer of confession of sin. But what a striking prayer it is. How do people convicted of the centrality and authority and supremacy of the Word of God confess their sin, not by focusing primarily on their sin, but by focusing primarily on the glory and the sovereignty and the majesty and the relentless mercy of God. Stand up, the priests 
exhort the people, and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name. And then listen to how the prayer begins. This prayer of confession as God's people bear the sins of their own lives and the sins of the people of God across the nation. It does not begin, we have sinned. It begins, you are the Lord. You alone. The evidence of spiritual renewal or spiritual life in God's people is an awareness, a consciousness of God. Listen to what Paul prayed for the Ephesians. This is when a church is listening to the Word of God and confessing its sin. Paul prayed for them that the eyes of their hearts be enlightened, that they might know what is the hope to which they have been called, the riches of the glorious inheritance that is theirs, and what is the immeasurable greatness of the power of God toward those who believe. That God is above every name, seated with Him is Christ. And God has put all things under Christ's feet. The first series I preached when I became your minister in 2009 was entitled, The Potential of a Praying Church. I remember one of our elders, Neil MacDonald, praying at the end of a service, Lord, make us a praying people, make us a praying church. And God answered. And many began to meet together to pray without any knowledge of what was ahead. In the early days of Chalmers, two years ago, we returned to that same theme, the potential of a praying church. And people to gather together to pray, burdened by the need to depend on God when we had nothing. Over the past few weeks, once again, the Word of God has called us to pray. The potential for spiritual progress in a city, a community, a church. The potential for progress when a whole church humbles himself before a mighty God and prays. And when a church does gather to pray, it does not pray introspectively, nor does it labor over its sins. It prays like this, You, O Lord, are God alone. A week past Thursday, many gathered in this building to pray, 80, 90 perhaps. But let me ask you this. Why didn't you come? Why didn't you come? Please come. And let's see what astonishing things God may do. Chapter 8. God's people attentive to the Word, 
chapter 9, God's people convicted under the word to pray. And then chapter 9, verse 38, because of all this, we make a firm covenant. Because we are attentive to the word of God, because we have been convicted under the word of God to pray, and pray in a way that is deeply conscious of the majesty of God and the mercy of God, because of this, we make today a firm covenant, a firm commitment with the Lord. Now, what that meant for God's people then, and what it means for us now, is not exactly the same. We live as we read, under the new covenant, the new covenant between God and all believing people that is sealed in Christ's blood. What are the essential differences between the old covenant and the new? Well, for one thing, we see so much more of God's saving purposes than they did. The end of the prayer in chapter 9, as Andy brought out so helpfully last week, is in some ways a kind of uncertain plea to God that He will be merciful again. And along with that, the sense then when they prayed that prayer in chapter 9, is this all there is? This endless repeated cycle of disobedience and restoration and disobedience in restoration. Now, we live in the new covenant with the certainty that they never had. That Jesus' saving death reconciles humanity to God once and for all. The final solution to the problem of human sin and rebellion. We live with the certainty that God Himself has come into the world that we might see His glory. We live with the certainty that Jesus will return again and make all things new. We see what they could never see. We see Jesus. We have what they could never have. Certainty. Assurance. And Jesus living with us by His Spirit. I was thinking this morning of, of this old hymn. Many of you will know it. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love to me. How does it go? Here's another one. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born in His Spirit, washed in His blood. Now, look in your minds at Jesus. We see so much more than them. We have so much more than them, and so surely we have less reason or excuse to be indifferent to the commitment that God asks from us. And therefore, if God's people then, attentive to the Word of God, were cut to the heart and moved to pray and to renew their covenant commitment to God, should we not today, attentive to the Word of God, in its full and final revelation of the living Word, Jesus, be even more cut to the heart and with a greater desire to pray and recommit to our faithful God? Surely, 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 
Yes. I think it's true that as a church we sit on this cusp with all that has happened. And we have an opportunity that will come and then will go. And that opportunity that is here now is to listen to the Word of God with a keenness, to be moved by the Word of God, to corporately pray, expressing our dependence on the majesty and the might of God. If God can sustain us through all that has happened, if God can provide everything we need, can that God not also open many hearts in this community to the gospel? If we express our confidence to Him that He can, His Word says He will. And this moment will pass. Now, let me apply chapter 9, verse 38, to chapter 10, verse 31, in four ways. You'll see them on the sheet. And I want to apply them on this particular day in our corporate life together. Firstly, make a personal, public, and serious commitment to the Lord. Verses 38 of chapter 9 to verse 27 of chapter 10. Now, these verses list the signatories to the covenant. The names listed in chapter 10, verses 1 to 27, are the princes, the Levites, and the priests, the spiritual leaders, and the heads of the different households. They are the names that appear on the sealed scroll, if you like, but they represent all of God's people. Now, verses 28 and 29 might also be included in the first section, Read them with me. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers and singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles. In other words, that day and today here, everybody, adults, families, younger people, older people, teenagers, children who could understand, students, elders, ministers, the whole church that day made a personal, public, and serious commitment to the Lord. It is serious stuff, a firm covenant in writing on a sealed document. Now, while the application through this chapter is to all of us together as a church family, here the corporate becomes the individual. So think of this room and the other services. The application of chapter 10 is to us all as a church family. But here at this moment, the corporate becomes your seat, your life. When people become members of a church, they make public profession of faith before God, before their fellow believers within our church family. Many of us are not yet formally members of this church. It's now perhaps an opportune time to make that public confession, to formally commit to the light and witness of this church. And I want to encourage, as Ezra would have then, all who have knowledge and understanding, young and old, who have not yet made that formal public profession to do so in these coming months. 
when people formally become members of the church, having made that public profession, either by testimony or by answering a series of questions, they then answer this question. Depending on the grace of God, do you promise to profess publicly your loyalty to Jesus? Now, does that not have weight to make that promise publicly before your brothers and sisters in the Lord and before your Lord Jesus? Does it matter? Does it matter to make that formal public declaration? Let me ask that question in a different way. Did it matter yesterday when Alex and Stephanie were married that they made a public promise to each other before their family, before that congregation, and before God. Of course it did. And on this significant day, in the life of this church, Chalmers, God's Word, corporate in its application, for now is directed to where you are sitting, and calls us all, to make a public, personal, serious, solemn commitment or recommitment to serious faith. And for some of us, that might mean sorting stuff in our lives that needs sorting. And that, of course, is between us and the Lord. Second application, to live distinctively in the world according to the Word of God. Chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. Let's read these verses again. They are key. The heading in the ESV is helpful. The obligations of the covenant. Verse 28, follow with me in your Bibles as I read it. Chapter 10, verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of our Lord, the Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land to take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now, there are some key phrases here. Notice first the phrase in the middle of verse 28. All who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands. God's people then, and God's people still, the church, are called to separation. Now, separation does not mean isolation. It means to live distinctively, differently, in the world. And that is a principle that runs through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It is a principle that pertains to every expression of the covenant between God and His believing people. Be different. Be distinctive in the world. 
do not ever withdraw from the world into some holy huddle. But do not be like the world. Be different. Be distinctive. For you are God's redeemed people. You are a new humanity. You are to display my wisdom, God says, to the world. So here we are in the middle of Morningside. We are a community of believers. People in whom the Spirit of Jesus lives. Called to be distinctive. To be different. To be light. To be a blessing. Let me point you to a couple of references in the New Testament that are helpful and pertinent in this regard. This concept of being different, distinctive in the world. 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes to God's elect scattered throughout Asia Minor. What's a local church? A local church is a scattered gathering of God's people in the world. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 10, dear friends, I urge you, abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls. Live such good lives. Live distinctively. Live separately in the world. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Or Paul to the Ephesians, once you lived in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Be very careful how you live. Live distinctively in the world. Now, we hear that as a challenge, of course, but never doubt it is a wonderful thing to shine as a light, a beacon, to reveal God's wisdom in the world, to point to eternity. I discovered this week that Thomas Chammers, after whom our church is named, was an elder in this church in the first year of its life here in this building. Thomas Chalmers preached the first sermon here. Chalmers was born in Anstruther in Fife, and the best memorial to Thomas Chalmers is the lighthouse at the end of the harbor wall. That's a fitting symbol of Chalmers' vision, a church extension program, this building being one of them, where we sit, local churches scattered throughout the nation as lights in the darkness. What does it mean to live distinctively in the world? How do we know how to live? How do we know what to do? It means to live according to the Word of God. Nehemiah 10 and verse 29. Join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and His rules and his statutes. For them, the law of God given to Moses, for us, the word of God, the full, sufficient, and final revelation of God, the written word of God in our hands. That is how we are to live. And notice in verse 29 how serious this commitment to the word of God is. To enter into a curse 
that if we do not walk according to the Word of God, God's judgment will fall upon us. Now, let me just touch on this in Nehemiah 10. There are two specific examples of areas of living highlighted, what it means to live according to the Word of God. It's these areas that the people of God then needed to be distinctive in again. What are they? Marriage. Isn't that striking? And the Sabbath. Now, the latter, the Sabbath, is a minefield. Yes, there is legalism that goes with that that is crazy. But the Sabbath principle is one of rhythm, of rest, that gives time to God, to praise God, to enjoy God, to enjoy the fellowship of God's people. Let's relish these things. There are so many coincidences going on at the moment. Or not. How glad I was yesterday to be able to conduct a marriage service before the first service in this building. So is God not in it all? Is God with us? Is God for us? Live distinctively in the world according to the Word of God. Last year, I was able to finish writing a Bible commentary on Daniel. Many of you were very glad, my wife in particular. In the author's preface, there is a dedication that I wrote that reads this. I would like to dedicate this book to the elders and congregation of Chalmers Church who have shown what it means to live distinctively in light of God's rule. So let me encourage you to keep on doing so. Thirdly, to give generously to the church's work in the world. That's 10.32 to 39. There's a recurring phrase in these verses. Uh, let me show you verse 32. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. It's in verse 34. It's in verse 35, verse 37, verse 38. The end is at verse 39. Look at the last words in the passage, we will not neglect the house of our God. What did it mean then? Well, it meant the temple. That was God's house. That's where God was. That's where God was present in the world. And this call, this recommitment, is to God's people to give their very best, to give generously to the house of God, to the temple, as an expression of their love to God. What are the applications for us today? God's presence is no longer in a building. God came into the world in the person of Jesus. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, the Spirit of Jesus was given to the church, the people of God all over the earth. In every Christian believer, God is present by His Spirit. So what is the house of our God today? It is the church of Jesus, its work, its witness all over the world, the living church in all its expressions. Does it include buildings? Yes. They are useful. They are a base, a hub for gospel work and vision. 
whether South Hall or Faith Mission or this building, or a shop front in Charleston. But it is far more than that. When people become members of this church, they are asked this question, do you promise to give a fitting proportion of your time, your gifts, and your money to the church's work in the world? The time God has given us on this earth, how will we use it? The gifts God has given us, how will we use them? The money God has given us, how will we use it? Give generously to the work of Christ's church in the world. Now, let me thank you for doing that, to allow this building to be bought. If you have not yet given, can I encourage you to give? Not because we need the money, but because we need your partnership spiritually in this recommitment and recovenant. Give to express your love to God. Do not look on from the sidelines at a time like this. Give of your time, your gifts, your money. I've been in touch this week with our gospel partners in China and those who, God willing, will be soon. The opportunities are vast. The needs are great. The reformation, the renewal of the Church of Christ in Scotland, England, and Wales in the next 20, 30, 50, 100 years will need Christians living churches to give generously and more of their time, their gifts, and their money. To train leaders to multiply churches and to send out gospel partners. And God is no man's debtor. He will bless you. And He will give you so much more than you ever give up for Him. So, what a significant chapter in God's Word. What a significant day in the life of God's people then. What a significant day in our life as a church. It is a day that came and went for them then. It is a day that will come and go for us now. But the Word of God asks us where we sit to make a personal, public, and serious commitment to the Lord. And then to us corporately as a church to live distinctively in the world according to the Word of God. And I want to embrace the sentiment of Nehemiah and ask God to bring His judgment upon us if we are not faithful to the Word of God. And then to give generously to the church's work in the world. Now, what else can we do today, as I close, that they couldn't do then? We can remember Jesus' death on the cross. So, the Apostle Paul writes, 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in your minds, look at the cross of Christ. What he has saved you from, everlasting hell, what he has saved you for, everlasting life. What difference will Jesus dying for us make in our life as a church? Where the whole realm of nature mind that would be an offering far too small, love so amazing and so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Let's pray. Father God, on this significant day in our life as a church, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would each and every one make that personal, public, and serious commitment to the Lord. We pray, Lord, for the many in our church family who are very much part of the church, who are not yet formally members of the church. We pray that over the coming weeks and months, they would be found standing here, publicly professing their loyalty to Jesus. Lord, will you enable us by your Spirit to live distinctively in this community according to the Word of God? And will you enable us by your Spirit to give generously to the church's work in the world. What is our motivation? Our motivation surely is the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. This is my body, which is broken for you, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me.